This episode of I'll Go First is brought to you by Acura, leading the way in auto innovation for over 30 years. Keep listening to discover how Acura sees things differently in the pursuit of precision-crafted performance. I think of Flytographer as like my third child, and you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always not just worrying about it, but excited about it, all of the emotions. And so I don't know, like, as a mom, I could never like just turn off my kids, and I kind of feel the same way about Flytographer. Hi, I'm Takara Small, and this is I'll Go First from The Globe and Mail. This is not your average tech podcast. We're going beyond the headlines and behind the million-dollar deals to chat with innovators and industry trailblazers. On this episode... My name is Nicole Smith. I'm the founder and CEO of Flytographer. Flytographer is like the Airbnb for vacation photographers. We connect travelers with local photographers in hundreds of cities around the world for short, fun vacation photo shoots about an hour long. We've all taken that awkward vacation selfie. I remember when I was up north at the cottage this summer, taking in all that fresh air and wasting so much time trying to get the right picture with the sunset behind me and utterly failing. For people who want the perfect photo without using selfie sticks, Nicole Smith has the answer and is called Flytographer. It's a kind of Airbnb for vacation photos. To add a little bonus to your trip, she also gets a local photographer to take pictures of you and any sunsets you might want on demand. Nicole clearly has a love for travel. She has lived in Spain, South Korea, and traveled throughout Europe. She's also got a thing for languages, and she even tried to teach me a little bit of Mandarin, for better or worse. But her life now is all about running her Victoria-based company and raising her two sons. She's also paying it forward by mentoring other women entrepreneurs. In this episode, she talks a bit about how she turned her idea into an international business and what she's learned being the only woman in the room and why PayPal almost ended her business. Here's our conversation. Can you explain how you came up with the name Flytographer? Because I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. When I first came up with the idea for Flytographer, no one was doing it. So we were first to market. And I kind of had this feeling that I needed to create a name that would become like an, a noun or a verb describing the space, kind of like rollerblade or Kleenex. So I needed to like invent a word that described what this this new behavior was. And, you know, I went through like a litany of terrible names. Um, oh, what were and, some of them? You got to share. Oh, I'm like, there's so much shame. <laughs> Don't make me go there. Um, but okay. uh, but uh, yeah, there was just like, I, I think one of them was like friend follower, like, yeah, you know, it's just terrible. So, <laughs> but I wanted a word that A, you could obviously get the .com domain because, you know, I didn't have huge budget to buy some some fancy name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted something that represented what the product was. And so flightographer, um, the word fly, obviously, you know, you're usually flying on your vacation and travel, you know, you're always, you know, often flying. But also, you know, originally it was, you know, fly on the wall. So like oh. having that photographer, you know, from a distance, being able to capture those moments and it's sort of those two things just seemed to make sense. I had this dream like five years ago that someday someone would use it, you know, in a sentence. Um, I'm going to book my hotel, my flight, and my flightographer when I travel. And so we start seeing our customers using it in sentences. And it was just like the first time I heard that, I literally had goosebumps. Do you know where you were when you first experienced that? 
Yeah, it was funny. I was actually playing squash at my squash club and um, someone had posted on social media. I think it was I think it was Facebook. And obviously we get tagged and uh, I read it and I, I probably should have screenshotted it. But it just like it stopped me in my tracks and I was so giddy. I like totally lost my match. <laughs> and so in your job, you connect travelers with photographers all over the world. What is the biggest misconception people have about your work? I think the biggest misconception people have about flightographer is that it's just for millennials and it's just for people that are, you know, vain or something like that. And mm. it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, our customers uh, range from millennials to grandparents. And in fact, we recently posted a photo on our Instagram of this couple in their 80s. It literally lit our Instagram page on fire because the way they were just standing there head to head in this like loving embrace um, was just like priceless and, yeah. and just a, an amazing moment. And so I think that people assume it's it's one thing, but really it's for people who prioritize experiences over things and for people who, you know, memories are, you know, the most important thing uh, to them when they travel. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. And how do you deal with the progression of technology? So now you know, a cell phone can arguably have the same type of um, ability as a DSLR. So when Mm -hmm. you're talking and connecting with travelers, how do you sell Mm -hmm. them on using um, your company instead of just taking a photo themselves? So I would say you could have a wolf stove and the fanciest pots, but you're never going to cook the same meal that a professional chef would. And so it's kind of the same thing with photography. First of all, um, you can have a great camera, but it doesn't mean you're a great photographer. You know, the artistry and the training that goes into it is something that is um, important. Um, Secondly, it's hard to get a good photo of everybody unless you have an incredibly long arm. Or selfie stick, which are now banned everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and by the way, fun fact, more people uh, died from selfie sticks in 2016 than sharks. Okay, that is something that will live with me forever. I am never going to forget that. I'm going to be like in the line for frozen yogurt, and I'll tap the person in front of me and be like... Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's seriously it's it's not fake news. It's true, and um, it's hard to get everybody in the in the photo. So people will you know do self timers or ask a stranger right. or as you know a floating head selfie where like you can't even really see the backdrop. But I think the third thing is. These days, one of the reasons we travel is to see how others live. Yeah. And so by rubbing elbows with a local for an hour, and keep in mind, our photographers are highly vetted. So they're people that are excited to host you around their city. They're people that have a great personality, a local artist. And so as you're walking the streets with like Roberta in Rome, for example, Mm -hmm. she's going to tell you her favorite coffee shop, her favorite restaurant, that there's this great street fair for the kids happening on Saturday down here. So you're getting such a rich experience beyond just the photos themselves, which, by the way, are amazing. But for people where experiences matter and connecting with locals matter, Mm -hmm. that's, I think, the biggest thing. Tell me a little bit about how you pulled together all of these photographers from all over the world. I had no no idea what I was doing when I started this business. I found my first photographer on Craigslist Paris, of all places. (laughs) And, um, you know, Craigslist can can work out sometimes and and, and other times it can't. Um, But this time it did. So initially it was going out and sourcing people from job forums and places or contacting 
asking photographers directly. Mm -hmm. Because we had no credibility and because no one had done this before, it was incredibly hard, to be honest. And even like recruiting like newer photographers that weren't outstanding yet was really hard. And so when I launched the site, I think we had 18 photographers. But then over time, it got easier because we started getting press. We started getting some exposure, some partnerships. And then people started seeing the quality of photos that our brand was representing and it got people more excited to join. And so initially the challenge was, you know, how do we reach out? How do we sell them on why this is a great thing for them? Why this is a great side hustle? Yeah. Now the tables have kind of turned where we've had, I think over 12,000 photographers apply to our website and we've hired about 500. And so your business utilizes social media a lot. And I'm wondering, like, how do you compete in what is becoming a very crowded space? Social media is, you know, both a challenge and an opportunity all in one. So for us, we find that, yeah, it's a crowded space, but um, it's also an amazing platform and a way to reach new people really easily and really quickly if you put out content um, that's meaningful. And so for us, Instagram and Pinterest are two of the biggest ways we acquire new customers and people become aware of us. And it also is a great channel for us to reach new customers through our existing customers who are posting about Flytographer and sharing those memories. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's it's probably one of the best secret weapons to to growth. Okay, so then how do you resist the urge to check social media when you're done work then? Um, that's a great question. So company's five years old now, and it's really just in the last six months that I've started to not um, obsess and check my accounts constantly. I have a great team behind me now. So for the first few years, I was the one man band and, uh, you know, checking things around the clock. And I actually didn't mind it. Like it was just like an obsession. But this summer, I really tried to step back and focus more on being present with my kids and and traveling with my kids. And uh, I have like this amazing um, person that does our content now, Jessalyn, and she's just crushing it in terms of like the responses and she's just on top of it. Um, So I don't feel like I need to check it all the time. It's more of a kind of a curiosity and and I'm trying to fight that because it is really hard to not um, be drawn to it constantly, but it's a tension, it's a battle and I'm, you know, some days I win and some days I lose, but definitely easier now to step away with having kind of a really good team in place. So was entrepreneurship something that you considered when you were young? I did not see myself becoming an entrepreneur at all. It's funny, I actually was talking at a university yesterday, and um, I was telling the students when I was 20, it wasn't even in my consideration set to start a startup or become a CEO. So mm-hmm. I didn't dream big enough. And, and when I look back, it kind of makes me sad. And, um, you know, the more I, you know, photographer grows and I get opportunities to chat with young women, I really think it's important that people, you know, can see it so they can, you know, before they be it. And I think I just didn't see it enough as, as a young woman where there were lots of women going off and starting these these companies and so I just wanted like a you know a steady job at a great company and you know that's probably why I ended up at Microsoft for 12 years. What was the reaction from your family when you told them hey I'm gonna leave a stable job and create something from scratch? <laughs> um, 
my well, my dad was like, that's just like the worst idea ever. Um, he he was like, he thought, you know, you've got this great job at Microsoft, you know, why would you why'd you risk that? And it all comes from a good place. Like they're just yeah. they love you, they're worried about you. You know, when I first told them, he was sort of like, no, I'm not sure about this, but whatever. But then, um, you know, like a year and a half in, when I still hadn't paid myself like at all, and I was draining my <laughs> life savings, um, and then I had to sell my car. He was just like, what are you doing? But I said, you know what, Dad? You know, I know this seems crazy, but you got to trust me. And I would literally sell my house next. That's how passionate I am about this. At the end of the day, the worst thing, you know, that could happen is it all explodes. But you know, I'll get another job. Like I've got skills, so I'm going to go for it. And, you know, he was like, okay, he's like, okay. But, uh, you know, it's nice that people care. So, um, yeah. you know, but I have to tell you, it feels good now for, for me to say like, see, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it all worked out. It all worked out. I knew what I was doing. See? Yeah. And you know, like a lot of the entrepreneurs that we interview, they tend to have a co-founder. So they have someone that can shoulder the stress whenever it gets mm-hmm. to be too much. What do you do? So yeah, I, I don't have a co-founder, um, and when when I started Flytographer, um, I didn't really know many people in the startup space in Victoria, even so people that would kind of get your world. Um, so I realized it's important to build a network of you know fellow founders, and so I've got some people now that I can talk to. But my go-to person is my best friend, and she lives in Copenhagen, and we we talk over WhatsApp all the time, and it could be like eleven o'clock at night. Send her a message. We'll hop on a Skype. Um, we'll talk it out. She's an amazing sounding board. How do you balance like kind of your professional life with your personal life? I mean, like being, you know, the founder of a company comes with so much stress and responsibility. I don't I don't know if there's an easy answer to that question. I I do my best. I think being a mom and and being a startup founder, both full time jobs. And uh, there's some days where I feel like I totally crushed it uh, on the mom front um, and like was like "Eh," on the founder front and then, you know, vice versa the next day. So, yeah, I think you're going to have to make trade-offs and, and find, you know, what are those things, what are those big rocks that you're not going to move and just try to be as present with your kids as possible. But I think the biggest tip I have around that is is just kind of work-life integration. And so two examples of that, gotcha. one was, you know, this summer when um, I had a business trip to Europe, I took my kids along and they um, were able to like meet a lot of the photographers that we work with and understand my business on a deeper level and therefore feel more connected and less, you know, competitive with it. Um, you know, the second thing was my 13 year old actually interned at Flytographer for a week this summer. I can't even tell you how fun that was. Like we would get <laughs> dressed uh, for work together and he's like, what should I wear, mom? And then, you know, we go in and we'd, we'd have like lunch together and he sat with our dev team. And the more you can bring your kids into your work and get them, you know, make them feel a part of it and understand mm-hmm. why you're building what you're building and, and just try to, you know, balance it as best you can and not judge yourself too hardly. You mentioned earlier work integration, work and life integration. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. then, do you ever feel like you are actually off the clock if you're always finding ways to merge your professional and your personal? I think that for me, the concept of being off the clock is, is just different than it used to be before I started Flytographer. And I actually feel more stress being off the clock. Um, And what I mean by that is, like, if I'm on vacation, for example, 
Um, and, and everyone's like, just don't check email, stay off Slack, um, take a break. My attitude towards that is like, okay, cool. I'm going to like totally stay off for most of the day, but I still want to check in. I actually feel better when I check in quickly just to make sure everything's okay and everything's running smoothly. I think of Flytographer as like my third child and, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always not just worrying about it, but excited about it, all of the emotions. And so I don't know, like as a mom, I could never like just turn off my kids and I kind of feel the same way about Flytographer. And you mentioned, you know, it's important for women to see it in order to be it. How do you get involved? I know you're a very adamant mentor when it comes to working with youth. You know, based in Victoria, there is a community organization called Viatech. And so I'm on the board there. And Viatech is really kind of representing the tech sector locally. And so uh, through Viatech, there's opportunities to, you know, to meet with and and connect with women. And also recently, I started a new event called Rosé and Real Talk. Oh my God, and I love it. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so we go to all these events where it's like a lot of beer and like the gender imbalances, you know, there's like 80-20 for men, women. Um, and I thought, well, why don't we, you know, create a, a different kind of event that looks, you know, a little bit different and see who can come out. And so we had a hundred startup women in Victoria come out to our inaugural event in the spring. We had copious amounts of Rosé. We had Lithographer's Famous Pop popcorn and some great cheese. And we had five uh, local women um, in their 20s, 30s and 40s talk about advice they'd give their younger self. So that was kind of our first event and places like that where women can share wisdom, make connections in a really fun environment just allows people to kind of see what's out there and, and make connections. And I think opportunities arise from that. Now the Acura Innovation Series. Sometimes you find a way to better your best. In 2001, Acura introduced their TL model with a little something extra, the Type S upgrade. Obsessed with performance, Acura engineers found new ways to give the TL more horsepower, more torque, and more than a few track-inspired improvements. That spirit of endlessly chasing better continues to drive Acura today in their pursuit of the future. Visit Acura.ca to discover their current lineup. One thing I learned about you while doing some research is that you can speak three languages. Did you pick those up during your travels? So like 20 years ago when I was in business school, I focused on international business and marketing. And um, I just loved uh, learning about different cultures and how different people um, communicated. And so as soon as I graduated from business school, the last thing I wanted to do was get a boring nine to five office job mm -hmm. where, you know, I'd have to wear pantyhose, which was a you know, oh, a killer. thing um, And uh, so I decided to travel and I spent uh, the first six months living in Mexico City and I studied Spanish, my favorite language to speak. And then uh, when I ran out of money, came back home and I realized I wasn't quite ready to settle in yet. I moved to uh, South Korea and spent a year there teaching English and, you know, just learning some Korean. Um, and that's sort of how the whole Korean thing came to be. And then my actually my younger brother ended up moving there, married a Korean oh. woman. So now I have like Korean um, nieces and nephews. And so keeps the Korean alive and, and we practice it. It's really fun. And your sons are really into languages as well. Have they studied it since they were little? They both learned Mandarin from like junior kindergarten through to grade seven, I think. Um, so I don't know how well they speak it, but they, you know, they can read a bit, write a bit, speak a little bit. Uh, and they also learn Spanish now. And they... 
you know, it's, it's great. I mean, I think it's, it's good to expose kids to all these things at an early age. Interesting fact, I'm actually learning Mandarin right now. Is there a word or two you can teach me so I'm fully prepped for class tonight? Ni hao ma. Ni ma. Ni hao ma. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like, hello. It's like a greeting. Oh my God, you guys are not, my producers are <laughs> laughing. You're not supposed to point and laugh at the host. Okay, no, one more time. Sorry, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm paying attention. Okay. Ni hao ma. Ni hao ma. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. You nailed it. I'm a native speaker. Can you tell? (laughs) My producer's laughing way too hard at that joke. (laughs) Okay. But um, I'm a little worried that I won't be able to pick up languages as quickly um, as, you know, a child would. Any tips or hints or tricks that I can pull out of my bag in class? I lived in Mexico City, and and so I obviously, like, that's the first option. Go live there, mm-hmm. speak it, you know, go drinking, and then the more you, you know. Ooh, drinking, <laughs> you a, done. A few, a few drinks, then, you know, you suddenly become fluent in your mind. Um, but aside from that, I actually learned a lot of Spanish by listening to Spanish speakers. So I bought a Shakira album and a Julio, a Julio Iglesias album and would literally read the lyrics and sing along to my favorite songs and that I think that was like a big part of like expediting because it was super fun. So the next section is like one of my favorite overall sections. It's called rapid fire. What you have to do is just answer each question as quick and fast as possible with one word. First question. What is your greatest fear? Ooh, my greatest fear is not being an awesome mother. What do you do for fun? Oh, I love to go for drinks with my girlfriends. What motivates you? I guess, I mean, the thing that I think motivates me is achievement like I'm, I'm a very goal oriented person and I, and I want to you know when I set a goal I want to I want to achieve it so mm-hmm. um, maybe it's I'm just competitive I don't, I'm not sure and what's your favorite rosé uh, anything from Provence first camera uh, was a Sony fave photo editing app I mean I, I do a lot of editing and Instagram but the SEO is probably the best how many hours do you sleep a night on average I am a big sleeper like I'm a, I'm a niner I go for yeah like it's, it's it's one thing I don't negotiate so um, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm good there. What's the one word your friends would use to describe you? I was going to say crazy, but maybe brave. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show? I've really enjoyed Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Your biggest pet peeve? I think one of my, my biggest pet peeve is when people don't take accountability. Mm. What do you do to de-stress? Hot, hot bubble baths. Travel essential that you need? A good book. Oh, what are you reading right now? Well, I just finished a book, actually, and it was amazing. It was called Shoe Dog, and it was the founder of Nike, basically his memoir. Hilariously written, and I had no idea, like, the journey that he had taken to get Nike where it is today. So I I literally couldn't put it down. So the next section uh, is called the Big Three. I'm really excited about it because it gives you a chance to talk as much as you want and expand on what you're working on and who you are as a person. So the first one is, um, you know, what piece of advice would you tell your younger self if you could? Oh, that's easy. I think I would absolutely tell myself to dream bigger. Like a lot of women especially have this sort of invisible ceiling that they they put on themselves in terms of like how far they can go. And for me, that was definitely the case. And 
I've realized just as I've grown this business to places that I didn't even dream of, I think that if I'd started earlier and had more courage around like things I could do and try and test, it's amazing how far you can go. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I I just want to like beat that drum to like every young woman that I can, that you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be, you know, an expert, but you have to have that sort of that passion and that resilience and that steeliness to keep going because you can really build amazing things. So, so just do it. And how did you overcome that invisible ceiling? I don't, I actually, that's a great question. I think that the process of building Flightographer, it just came, it's like through osmosis, I guess, almost, where I was on this mission, I was on this train, like I had this idea, I'd come back from Paris where I had the idea, and for nine months, I kept thinking about it, I couldn't stop thinking about it, but like I didn't want to disrupt my life and, you know, start a startup. I'd gone through a difficult divorce a couple years earlier, and so like things were finally calm, things were great, and the, the concept of starting a startup seemed really crazy, um, but I couldn't stop thinking about this idea. And so when I, you know, started taking the steps towards launching it, um, it was almost like this, like, magnetic force was pulling me towards it, and I couldn't stop. And so mm-hmm. I just kept having to figure out at every step along the way, okay, well, what's the next step, and what's the next step, and what's the next step? And yeah. so that was sort of how it unfolded for me. And then as the company grew and our opportunities grew, and I sort of stood back and looked at it and realized how far we'd gone from, you know, when it was just sort of me and the, and the idea to like where we are today, um, yeah. it just sort of happened. And I feel like if I can do it, you know, like anyone can do it. Is there like a big mistake that you made, you know, early in the startup that maybe was like a big deal or at the time seemed incredibly devastating, but now you realized helped you grow as a person or helped flightographer grow into what it is today? Oh, there's so many mistakes. Um, I literally, I, I mean, a couple that come to mind, you don't realize the importance of hiring the right people that align with your values and how devastating that can be to your company if you get it wrong. And so for me, that's something that um, I've had to, to really get better at and understand because I'd never grown a startup before and, and had to start a culture from scratch and build out a team that's high performing, but also like lives and breathes the values. So, you know, hiring has been really challenging. Um, we also had, I think one of the, one of the scariest things for our, for my company was when PayPal suddenly shut off our account unexpectedly. Oh. So I I had no way to pay my photographers all over the globe. Like I honestly thought this was going to be crushing to the company that, yeah. you know, these photographers are going to revolt and be like, this is crazy. And so for three weeks, we had no way to pay our photographers. And so, you know, I scrambled to find another solution um, and accelerate the deployment of that solution. Thankfully, because we had built up so much trust in the three years prior with our yeah. photographers that they held, they held out with us and we were just super transparent. We're like, this is what's happening. That was probably one of the one of the toughest moments and it just made me realize like you, you've got to have plan b's for things you've got to like think through all these different scenarios because um one little thing that you don't even see coming yeah. can like just harpoon your business and and what was the reasoning did you ever find out why yeah i mean they they wanted the it was it's kind of a long story but they wanted the birth date of one of our customers this customer hadn't sent money through paypal it had nothing to do with that customer but yeah. whenever we would send the photographer their payment we would reference the customer's name so they knew what shoot it was for and so i wasn't going to go back to this customer and say hey um by the way paypal who you've never done business with wants to know your birthday you yeah, know? So yeah. I, I just like i said no i'm not going to do that so um this was a bit of a standoff and um we found another solution things are all all good now but at the time you know, I was I lay in bed at night, sweating. You know, terrified. Like, what am I going to do? As as we tried to like figure this out, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, it makes you stronger. 
Thank you to Nicole Smith for sharing her story. Now we want to hear yours. Make sure to hit me up online. I'm at Takara Small on Twitter, or you can email the show at podcasts at globeandmail.com. I'll Go First is a Vocal Fry Studios production. It's executive produced by Kieran Reyna and Katrina Bolak with editorial assistance from David Michaels. For more stories about entrepreneurship, visit theglobeandmail.com. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll see you next week.